The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to shift gears and talk with the uh, author of uh, a new book. It's being called, uh, part, uh, well, it's being called A Prescriptive Memoir. We'll find out what all that means. The book is uh, Dear Radiant One, An Emotional Recovery Story and Transformational Guide to Embody the Dance of Life. And it's written by dancer, speaker, author, yoga teacher, and transformational guide who grew up with lions on her roof. And we're going to find out what that's all about. Her name is uh, Phoebe Leona, and she joins me by phone. Good morning, Phoebe, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you for having me. I, I read a description of, of, of your <laughs> life and the content of the book, and it says, With lions on her roof and a drug-dealing dad, author transforms her life through movement and dance. And, you know, when I, when I read more into it and find out about how important movement and dance is to healing mm-hmm. and in, uh, in the way that you apply it, I'm reminded of an old skit from Saturday Night Live with John Belushi. Um, okay. And he's dressed up as an old man, white hair and a mustache and a long coat and a cane. And he's walking around a cemetery and he's looking at the gravestones of all the other cast members of SNL. As if, <laughs> as if he has outlived them all. And he said, which, which is ironic now because he was one of the first to go, sadly. But, yeah, yeah. But, but, but in the skit, he's walking around and he says, a lot of people ask me how I managed to outlive all of my cohorts. And he said, it's because I'm a dancer. And music starts and he starts <laughs> dancing on their graves. And it is, it's silly, but, but yet it kind of addresses what you talk about in your book. Mm. Do yeah. You, do you know what I mean? Are you familiar with the skit yeah, at all? Absolutely. I'm a dancer. No, you know, I need to go back and I need to go back and look. I mean, I can visualize it because I definitely watched that era of Saturday Night Live as a very young kid. But I don't remember that particular skit and now I'm gonna go well, look it up. I, I think they've kinda I think they've kinda hidden it away from some of the replays and oh, no. stuff. Too bad. Just, just simply because of the irony of you know yeah. him having died so yeah. young and and the thing yeah. sort of makes fun of that and i and i think they've kind of avoided um but but i think it's True. one of, one of the 
one of the funniest skits he ever did and and mm-hmm. a very clever one. So if you can track it down on yeah. YouTube, I think you'll get a kick out of it. But let's find I'll out about these back. lions on the roof. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a, lot, so. a lot of people talk about having, you know, parents who were into drugs and substance abuse yeah. and having a rough childhood. This is the first time I've heard anything about lions on the roof. At first, I thought it was a metaphor. Well, it was not a metaphor. It was the real <laughs> deal. Uh, <laughs> and actually, I, I kind of am interested how you recall that, that skit with Belushi because I feel like that kind of encapsulates my childhood in in a sense. You know, my father uh, was a Vietnam vet. He did two tours in Vietnam and he was a rather wild man prior to that. But when he came back uh, from Vietnam, he had, well, we didn't know it at the time because they didn't even have this terminology, but he had severe PTSD. And so when he came back, he was, you know, going to the VA and saying, I don't know what's going on here. Something's wrong with me. And they just kind of said, you're fine. Just, you know, go live your life. Um, And he basically self-medicated with with various drugs. And he also was a drug dealer. So in the late 70s, that's what he was doing. He was dealing drugs. He also had a waterbed store (laughs) um, to (laughs) to cover his business. And he thought that it would be, you know, I, my dad was this person who just acquired things like lions. I, I honestly, I've asked him so many times, how did you get the two lions? And yeah, I don't know. Like he, he just acquired things like lions. And so he had these two lions who were security on top of the waterbed store, you know, protecting his other business. And that was, that was dad that was jay miller and so he was walking one of his lions one day you know because that's what you have to do when you're in york pennsylvania and he was walking this lion and he's a cute girl who ends up being my mother and the rest is my story as i say so he was an interesting character he um wait a minute you said he he met this woman who was your mother yeah when he was walking the lion, he, she saw a cute man walking a lion, and she said, hey, I want to know that guy, and invited him to a party and said, you have to bring the lion, and <laughs> there you go. Now, were you, <laughs> uh, was she already your mother, or did you no, come no, along no. later? No, 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 she was in college. Okay. I, ca- I came along later, yeah. So she was just out waiting for her bus for college and saw this very handsome man uh, with a lion and said, you know, began to flirt with him, and the rest became my story. They went on a date, and then, you know, a year or two later, I come along. Um, And, you know, he was a beautiful man. He had the heart of gold. Um, I I so thought you were going to say he had the heart of a lion. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah, that too. Um, And he absolutely adored me. But he had these demons, you know, um, he had these demons of dealing with PTSD. And like I said, we didn't even have that terminology until really kind of the early 90s. Um, So most of my childhood was very tumultuous. He was in and out of rehab. He was disappeared for periods of time because, you know, the drugs got really bad. His drug use got really bad. Um, So I had this very 
confusing relationship, a confusing childhood where I had this very loving father. And he was my primary caregiver because my parents divorced when I was eight years old and I stayed living with him from eight to 15. And so I had this very beautiful relationship with my dad, but he was troubled and I did, and we didn't have the terminology. We didn't have, he didn't understand that he was going into flashbacks. He didn't understand why he was so angry and had so much shame around what he had to do in Vietnam. So um, it didn't happen until many, many years later when he finally um, was blessed to be arrested for, for his drug use and his, you know, potential dealing and he got thrown in jail for a period of time and he had to detox and they actually said to him, listen, you don't have a PTSD, you don't have a drug problem, you have a PTSD problem. And they sent him to a VA and he was in the hospital um, for about, I think, nine months or so and went through rehab and became rehabilitated, thankfully, at the end of his life. Um, and then he made sense of things and, and we got to have this really beautiful relationship of healing the last four years of his life when he came back into my life. Um, so that and, uh, is the story of dad and his lion. <laughs> well, yeah, but it seems, but wait, there's more. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. the, the, there's always more, Tom. Uh, uh, right. <laughs> well, you know, I'm like you. I'm interested in, in how he came by these lions. But also, if mm -hmm. he was out walking this lion, I would think that people in the neighborhoods and stuff would would complain were there any uh, codes that that he was in violation of or did he have to have licenses for these things was there um, you know any special legal issues yeah. involved in owning lions um honestly i don't know because i wasn't around it was the late 70s i think that things were a little bit looser then yeah, I don't um, think in this day and age <laughs> th that the government no. would, would let somebody with PTSD have lines. No, no, no. No, <laughs> no definitely not. Um, so, And he was somebody who didn't really care about <laughs> the law. <laughs> so that wasn't I my like first him question when he was telling me the story. <laughs> yeah. and that wasn't my first question when I said, hey, Dad, what about your permit? Um, he did not answer that question. <laughs> was he was he in 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 some ways, maybe many ways, bigger than life? Yes. Because absolutely. I just have this, was, I, you know, Phoebe. Yeah. I just have this image of walking down the street, and you know, you see two or three houses in a row that say "Beware of Dog," and you know, you get down. <laughs> You get down to your house and it's like, beware of lions. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, got to be a little so, bigger, you know, than the Joneses. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the literally the only photo I have of him and the lion was one of those, you know, you know how you would take your family to go to Sears and they would have the the backdrop and yeah the family portrait on, you know, awkwardly yes yeah so that is literally the only photo i have of him with his lion was that he went into one of those you know sears with his lion and said i want to get a photo <laughs> that's sort of the bigger than life that you know um, that's a story was. that photographer <laughs> is telling this this very day yes. somewhere absolutely absolutely <laughs> yep i had a guy yep. come in he with said, a you know lion what? 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do a family portrait with my lion. Yep. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, when your dad would take off, um, mm -hmm. who looked after the lions? So the lions did, did uh, disappear. They went to a farm about, I don't know the exact timeline, but it was before I was actually born. So he probably oh, really? had them, I would say, for another six months to a year. And just like how things enter my father's life, and he doesn't really know how they entered, they also disappear. So he, you know, when I asked him this story, he said, oh, yeah, I took them to a farm. They, they needed to, like, have more space to roam. So he had an aunt who owned a farm nearby, and, and I think that's what happened, or there was some sort of animal sanctuary that eventually they went to. So I didn't get to cuddle up with the lion oh. as a baby, unfortunately. Well, I, know. I was going to wonder about that because, <laughs> you know, there's a certain amount of care, even, you yeah. know, even if wild animals have been domesticated to some degree, yeah. there's still a certain amount of care. Although it'd be a much more interesting story if he'd have just taken them out in the woods and let them go. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, there'd be, yeah. you know, newspaper articles and <laughs> yeah. rumors yeah. for years. <laughs> you know, there's lions in those woods over there. Yeah. Um, no, but that's, um, I I was going to ask, you know, what kind of interaction you had with the with the lions, but it sounds like uh, they, they were gone before you were old enough to want to play with the kitty. They... Yeah, they were gone. But, you know, when I learned that story, I I didn't really know the whole story until... So let me go back. So my father disappeared when I was 15, and I my life shifted, and I he wasn't in my life for about 16 years. And so when he came back and he was rehabilitated, he started to tell me these stories and kind of fill in the blanks and, and explain what what he was going through because of his tours in Vietnam and, and how he was feeling and how he had rehabilitated. And so he started to fill in these blanks that I didn't quite understand about him as a person and as my father. Um, and when he passed away, he passed away in 2013. That's really what got me to write this book because I wanted to share my story of this relationship I had with my father about how um, there are many layers to the, the story, but one was basically that how his PTSD affected my own, my own childhood trauma and how learning his story really helped me fill in the blanks and, and helped me through my own emotional recovery. So I started to go through my own emotional recovery after he died and did this very deep healing um, the last nine years. And I wanted this to not just be about my story, but how it's all, all, all of our stories, how all of us, um, when we are going through something, we don't understand that it's affecting other people around us and how we can shift and change and be that change Phoebe, to change the world. I, yeah. I, I hate to interrupt, but I, I want to, um, well, I have to take a short break here. But oh, this yes. is such a fascinating story. I hope, can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? I would love that. All right. Yes, great. I would love that. Thank well, we're, you. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we Sounds go to good. break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click the, that mouse or the lion's. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the uh, author of a what's being described as a prescriptive memoir called Dear Radiant One, An Emotional Recovery Story and Transformational Guide to Embody the Dance of Life. And it's written by dancer, speaker, author, yoga teacher, and transformational guide who is my guest this hour by phone, Phoebe Leona. Phoebe, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, Phoebe, we spent the whole last segment talking about um, about your dad and his demons and um, and his lions. But yeah. let's um, let's talk about how dance and movement and physicality entered your life and and how you discovered it to be a, a panacea mm, yeah so it was <laughs> it's funny my mom jokes that I I was dancing before I walked because I would go and do you remember the jolly jumpers where you put the little baby in and they would jump oh, up yeah. and down and bounce up so I would I would be in the Jolly Jumper at dinner time when my mom was making dinner and she would have music on and I would just start jumping up and down, you know, before I was even uh, had the ability to walk. <laughs> so it was always moving. I was always moving around, listening to music, dancing around. So it was always in me. And it was what brought me so much joy in in dancing. The physical movement brought me so much joy, but it also brought so much joy to share it with people. So I also had the joy once I was, you know, on my two feet dancing around in space, um, sharing dinner after dinner shows. So I would dance every night after dinner and perform whenever I could. And it was what I thought. I thought everybody wanted to watch me dance to Miss Piggy's Aerobeak, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> over and over and over again. Um, I'm not sure how much joy they felt after, you know, the 10th night in a row. But I had a lot of joy sharing it with other people. So I took that track as a professional dancer. But what I didn't realize until much later in my life was how it was. That it was this elixir for my own healing. It was when I was having those experiences with my father that were confusing. I would go into the room, I'd close the door, I'd turn the music on, and I would dance around. And it turned it out to be my physical therapy and an emotional therapy where, you know, now that I've done a lot of work studying um, trauma, how it, our bo- the issues are in our tissues. When we have a stressful, it doesn't have to be a full-on traumatic event, but even just stress in, in our day-to-day, when we carry that with us, we start to become it. We, we start to become that stress. And so we need to have some sort of physical outlet. And that's what dance was for me. When I was feeling... Um, at, and, you know, uneasy in my space, that's what I would do. I would go in and I would put the music on and I'd feel joyful again. But I'd also, to get to that space of joy, I felt the, the confusion. I felt the anger. I felt the pain. But I always on the other side, I got to the joy. And I'm so grateful that I intuitively found that uh, through my childhood. And I'm grateful that I took the route as a dancer in New York City I'm also grateful that I retired at a somewhat early age so that here I am now in my 40s, 
I still have the ability to to dance in, in many different ways. When you say you became a professional dancer, um, and you yeah. said in New York, um, that that opens up a lot of possibilities. What kind of venues, what kind of performance were you doing? Yeah, I mostly, I was a modern and contemporary dancer, so I, I mostly danced with companies, modern contemporary dance companies. Um, I did do a lot of auditioning, so that's the thing about being a New York City dancer. There's also a lot of, there are a lot of opportunities, but there are like a hundred times more dancers for that one opportunity, at least a hundred times. So uh, you had to be versatile too. So I did audition for you know musical theater and other kind of commercial jobs. But my where I loved was dancing in dance companies, which we danced in New York City. We also toured um, outside of the city, nationally, internationally. In what um, kind of venues and and yeah. to what kind of audiences? Hmm. Mostly theaters. Uh, but um, there was a dance company that I danced with for years where we would go into the school system. So that was part oh, nice. of our, how we got funded. So we would have these beautiful concert, you know, concerts and theaters at night. But during the day, we would go into the school system and teach kids uh, or do even miniature, you know, smaller performances of something that we were going to do on the bigger stage. So they got to experience it or get to learn the moves, you know, to to come to the, the show you know, later that night. So it was a really beautiful experience to be able to, um, you know, be in the school system and then and, and be an educator and then also be that performer too. Now, this dance company um, or the dance companies that you worked with, um, yeah. how, many, how many dancers would there, would there be in, in a mm -hmm. concert that you might do? Um, it varies. I mean, we probably had somewhere between, I mean, I had lots of different gigs. Um, sure. I mean, there was, the companies that I danced in would be like seven to 10, but I also okay. did big performances. Like I danced in Times Square, uh, at the Millennial for a company and we were down there, you know, dancing next to the mayor and there was a hundred of us performing on, on the stage. Which was very cool. <laughs> in in a situation like that, I would think that you know the the routines are are pretty choreographed. Is it? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How how long does it take to put together the routines that you're going to use in in public performances? Mm. Well, it, again, it kind of depends. Um, one of my dearest friends, who is now the artist director of Limon Dance Company, we, I, we were dance partners for years, and we worked so intimately that um, we knew each other very well and how we moved, and so we could do a duet and only have one or two rehearsals, which would be like an hour or two. Um, but for a company on a bigger scale, like what I was just speaking to for Times Square, where there are 100 dancers, yeah, we had rehearsals for a month, and we were rehearsing every day. Because there were not just one, it was not just one number, but it was um, performances throughout the entire, you know, the entire day, really. It was, I think we danced for 24 hours, not in a row, but we took some time here and there. But right. So we had rehearsals every day for a month um, prior to that performance. 
then how did it occur to you that that dancing was not just a, um, something you enjoyed because you you felt rhythmically inclined um, and mm-hmm. and that it made money for you at what point did it occur to you how did it occur to you that it was therapeutic mm. I think I think I always knew, but I didn't really, like, I, I all, there was something in me that always knew. It always knew when I was going through a hard time, even as an adult, you know, turn, you know, turn the music up, dance around. I just intuitively did that. Now, when I was really turning the light on and saying, oh, this is what I've been doing as my own healing, but I can also help other people tap into that. that that's more recent. That was probably in the last, I would say ten years or so. How did that? How did started, that happen and and evolve? I'm yeah. I'm trying to imagine Phoebe, you yeah. you know you you promoting to people dance with me, you'll feel better. <laughs> you know <laughs> how, how did how did that yeah. actually evolve in real life? Yeah, thank you for that question. So it really was. I was teaching yoga full time and I was rather burnt out because I was teaching trainings where I was teaching 200 hour teacher trainings back to back. And I was sort of tired of doing, doing those, you know, moves, as you would say. So I, I found my way back to being very moving organically. Some of it was dancing, some of it was just rolling on the ground. And I was realizing, oh, this feels so familiar. Oh, this is how I used to move before I went to school for dance. Before, you know, before it became a technique, before I started to learn the techniques of Pilates and yoga, I was just really moving organically like I did when I was a little kid. And, and I was realizing how healing it was to, to come back to that, to come back to my body in this really beautiful, organic way. And I actually said, I went to a healer that was mentoring me at the time. And I said, is this something, what I'm offering Right now, how I'm moving, is this something? And she said, absolutely, you need to codify this in some way and share it with other people. And so that's what I did. I brought it into one of my yoga teacher training programs. It's just, you know, a day that we would play around. And I, I gave them my, my movement practice, Movement 109, where we get down into the body, we, we center the body, and then we eventually come to stand and, and dance and feel free. And I remember everybody, you know, I said, to them I said is this anything <laughs> how do you feel you know is doing my market research and they all said this is so powerful I've never and there was one person in particular one of my students and she said I've never been able to dance I've never ever allowed myself to dance she said even at her wedding and all of the school you know school dances she was never able to dance so much so she was so terrified she would cry she left her own wedding and and cry, was crying in the next room because the dancing was so overwhelming and she didn't even understand why. And so to have her in this experience with us in a group where she was dancing and feeling free and feeling seen and feeling, you know, letting her body move in this free way, she said, I've never, ever experienced this for myself. So that was, that was the moment where I said, okay, we need to do more of this. <laughs> we need to do more of this. You know, there's that that mantra that makes its way around from time to time in social media memes and bumper stickers. Mm -hmm. Dance like no one is watching. Mm 
Yes. <laughs> Which is actually better in the long run for your physical and emotional well-being? Dancing like no one is watching or just just putting it out there in front of everybody? Hmm. Honestly, I think that's a personal journey. I think that it's good to start with dance like nobody's watching <laughs> because you get to know a deeper version of yourself, right? There might be moves. There might be ways that you're moving that you're, you're surprised about that, that are joyful, but there might be some things in there. They're like, Ooh, I did not see that anger inside of me. You know, if there's like an aggressive song that came on and all of a sudden you tapped into it and it's like, Oh, I did not know that was in there. So I would say if, you haven't allowed yourself that space to dance. Dance like no one's watching. Actually, literally do that. Dance with no one watching. Um, but I, what I found for some people that have gone through my program, they needed to be seen. This was a way for them to be understood. And so they don't have the words to express themselves and to be able to dance and have other people see their movement and feel their movement was really healing. We have a program called Who Are We Becoming where we witness each other in the movement and they share their story with words and we all dance it together. And it's been such a powerful transformation for people because sometimes they're just not the words. And all they want to do is feel seen and heard and understood. And if they don't have the words to express that, but they can move their body and feel it and have other people feel it, it's really powerful. Have you, uh, in the in the course of your your life and career, have you studied different forms of dancing? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I went mean, to college for dance, so yeah. I, you know, I I know ballet is a real commitment, but I would expect that mm -hmm. some aspects of it make its way in, um, and yeah. and tap dancing. Um, oh yeah. I, is that, you know, I, can, can you tap dance your way through awkward situations? <laughs> <laughs> Met it more metaphorically. I am not a tapper. I'm not a hoofer. Um, that was the one that did not, I mean, I, I did my, my tap jazz and ballet from age three to, you know, college. Um, sure. Also put in some modern and contemporary and jazz in there. Um, but yeah, tap was not the one that I was, I, I think it's the fine motor skills of your feet that I wanted to do the big movement. I wanted to take up space. I wanted everybody to see me. And the tapping was a little more subtle, I found. Um, and, and more, you know, had to be more controlled with your feet to do those fine motor skills. Well, unless... So, but more metaphorically, um, I can tap through life. Um, unless you're <laughs> Peter Boyle in Young Frankenstein then tap true, dancing takes true. on a whole different <laughs> kind of yeah, presentation. Yeah, and Kelly and Fred Astaire. I, I mean, I grew up watching all of the, the you know the MGM musicals. Um, can you dance without music? Absolutely. Yes. Does does the music change the dance and and? how yeah I, what what music is best hmm. i don't think there is a music that's best i think that you find i think of it as it's your landscape right so you can decide what kind of landscape you want to move in 
do you want to move fast? You know, do you want to move slow and, you know, feel very, it, it kind of is, where do you want to go with it? What do you need? What do you need to do? And that's something that I, I ask myself is what's my intention here? Is it that I just need to exercise and move my, my body? My, my teacher says, call it like, get your yayas out. Like, do I just need to get some energy flowing? And because I've been sitting all day, so I might put an upbeat song on. But there also might be that I'm just exhausted. I'm so tired. I've been running around all day. So I put something really slow on and calming because my nervous system has just been haywire all day. So I put that slow, more meditative music on to allow myself to maybe roll on the ground and dance, you know, laying down in a way. <laughs> so I don't think that there's a right or a wrong way in choosing your music. And to just elaborate on the, the dancing in silence, um, that really gives you the space to be with you and to listen to your breath, right? Your breath becomes the music. And that can be a rather awkward for some people who aren't used to that intimacy in their body and their breath. But it's such a beautiful tool to listen to your breath. And, and kind of what I suggest is if that's a new space is just to sit and breathe really deep breaths and almost let your body exaggerate the breath. So let your arms kind of expand when you inhale, let them gently draw in as you exhale, and then just let it kind of go where it wants to go. And then the rest of the body will start to follow that breath. It's a really beautiful practice. In this um, in this book, how much is uh, is memoir or recovery story, and and how much is uh, an inspirational or transformational guide? Mm. So the first third of the book is sharing chronologically my story, my memoir. Uh, so that you have context, you know, what we talked about in the first segment about my relationship with my father and sure. you know, what was going on there. And then the last three sec, the last two sections, um, I, I invite the reader into listening a little bit more in, into my story through letters. So I write letters to the emotions. I write letters to what we call the shadow emotions being anger and grief and um, shame and guilt. And then I write letters to the lighter emotions, joy, gratitude, confidence, love. And after each of those letters, I shift it to the reader. And that's where the, gu the transformational guide turns into um, turning that lens to the reader and say, okay, how do you, what's your relationship with anger? What does that look like? And I offer them practices to, you know, make friends with anger, to make friends with fear to invoke more joy, to invoke more gratitude. So it it shifts, you know, that last two-thirds of the book, yeah. there's that shift every section to the reader and walk them through those steps. The book is called Dear Radiant One, An Emotional Recovery Story and Transformational Guide to Embody the Dance of Life, written mm -hmm. by uh, Phoebe Leona, my guest. Um, Phoebe, this is not your first book. Is there another book on the horizon? How do you like the writing experience? I just got chills when you said that, Tom. <laughs> um, I do. I do feel another book. I'm not rushing it because I. I feel this book ha is becoming a multi-dimensional experience where we're bringing live, dear radiant one readings 
to people in person where I'm dancing at times too, interwoven through the reading. So I want to let that breathe and, and come to its full, you know, full space where it wants to go. Um, but I do have another idea for a book. And, you know, this one was my relationship with my father. The next one's going to be in honor of my maternal side of my family where I'm writing stories that are loosely based. It'll be more of a novel of sorts, but that's going to be down the line in a few years from now. I'm collecting my data from grandma now. <laughs> <laughs> Doing the research part. Yes, um, exactly. Are you able to um, write full time now if you wanted to? You said you were retired from from dancing, mm -hmm. but are, are, are you doing other things for quote gainful employment yeah, yeah i mean i, I do I, I took essentially a year off to write the radiant one but i've always been a teacher i you know using the tool of yoga to teach now it's my movement practice movement 109 that that i facilitate and i have a company called the nomad collective where i organize retreats around the world for you know i facilitate them other people in my collective facilitate as well so that is a whole other, you know, business that I run in addition to the writing and the teaching. Well, Phoebe, it's been fun talking with you. We've got a couple of minutes left, and the time has just flown by. Um, as, mm. as I had a feeling it might, anybody that, uh, you know, was born into a house with lions on the on the roof. <laughs> um, but in, in all seriousness, I, I want to thank you for yeah. spending this time with me and the listeners. But I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, obviously, the book is a great place to start, but do you have a website you'd like to share? Yeah, I so appreciate that, Tom. Thank you. Yes, my website is my name, phoebeleona.com, uh, P-H-O-E-B-E-L-E-O-N-A.com. And you'll find my book there. You'll find my other offerings like my movement practice and where I have a retreat coming up in Costa Rica where you can dive into the book and dive into this movement and dance, which I'm really excited to hold space for people in this, in this beautiful way. Um, and then my, my other company, the nomadcollective.org, is where we have the retreats and other beautiful offerings there too. And I'm on social media, Facebook, Instagram, it's both my, my name there. So, you easy know, to it's, find. it's it's funny. I've I've made fun of uh, men in the past on my show. Just teased them a little about having yeah. two first names, you know, like John okay. James or something like that. I believe you're the first woman that I've ever talked to or oh. met that has two first names, Phoebe Leona. Well, we're gonna bring it full circle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I claimed that last name Leona because do you know what Leona means, Tom? I don't. It's a Spanish word for lioness. I should I should have been able to <laughs> guess that. Well, Phoebe, it's been a real pleasure, and by all means, keep up yes. the good work. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure being with you and your people. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thank you. Again, Phoebe Leona 
is a dancer, speaker, author, yoga teacher, and transformational guide. The book is Dear Radiant One, an emotional recovery story and transformational guide hey, to embody the dance of life. We'll be back. Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. 
Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. And now, here is a magnificent recording made in the Y Valley of an ordinary travel agent's office. Note the huge-breasted typist in the background. Good morning. Good morning. Um, do you want to come upstairs? I beg your pardon? Do you want to come upstairs? Oh, or have you come to arrange a holiday? Uh, to to arrange a holiday? Sorry. What's all this about coming upstairs? nothing, nothing. Now, where were you thinking of going? India. Ah, one of our adventure holidays. Yes. Well, you better see Mr. Bounder about that. Um, Mr. Bounder, this gentleman is interested in the India overland. Morning, I'm Bounder of Adventure. Hello, I'm Smoke Too Much. Well, you'd better cut down a little, then. I'm sorry? You'd better cut down a little, then. Oh, I see. Smoke too much, so I'd better cut down a little, then. Yes. That's meant to get people making jokes about your name all the time, eh? No, I've never noticed it before. So you're interested in one of our adventure holidays, are you? Yes, I saw your advert in the Bala Supplement. The what? The Bala Supplement. The Colour Supplement? Yes, I'm sorry, I can't say the letter B. C? Yes, that's right. It's all due to a trauma I suffered when I was a schoolboy. I was attacked by a bat. A cat? No, a bat. Oh, well, can you say the letter K? Oh, yes. Carkey, Kind, Kettle, Kipling, Kipper, Kuwait, Keeble, Bolly, Oxford. Yes, yes. Well, why don't you use the letter K instead of the letter C? What? Spell Bala with a K? Yes. Colour. Oh, thank you. I never thought of that. What a silly bunt. Anyway, about the holiday. Well, yes, I've been on package tours many times, and so your advert really bought my eye. Oh, good. Yes, you're quite right. I'm fed up with being treated like a sheep. I mean, what's the point of going abroad if you're just another tourist yes. carted round in buses surrounded by sweaty, mindless hosts from Ketchard and Boventry and their cloth caps and yeah. their cardigans with mm-hmm. their transistor radios and their Sunday mirrors complaining about the tea? Oh, they don't mm-hmm. make it properly here, do mm-hmm. they? Not like at home. And mm-hmm. stopping at Majorcan Bodegas selling fish and chips and Watney's Red Barrel and Calamaris and Tuve and yes. sitting in their cotton sun frocks, squirting Timothy White sun cream all over their puffy, raw, swollen, purulent flesh because yes. they overdid it on the first day. And being herded into endless hotel Miramars and Bellevues and Bontinentals yes. with their yes. modern international mm. luxury mm. roomettes and draft red barrel and swimming pools yes. full of fat yes. German yes. businessmen pretending they're acrobats, mm. forming pyramids and frightening the children and barging mm. in the queues. And if you're not at your table spot on seven, you miss the bowl of Campbell's cream and mushroom soup, Shut the up. first item on 
on the menu of international cuisine. And every Thursday night, the hotel has a bloody cabaret in the bar featuring a tiny emaciated dago with nine-inch hips and some bloated fat tart with their hair brill cream down and a big ass presenting flamenco for foreigners. And had an idle typist from Birmingham with flabby white legs and diarrhoea trying to pick up hairy, bandy-legged, what weight to score Manuel. And once a week, there's an excursion to the local Roman ruins to buy cherry aid and melted ice cream and bleeding what in his red barrel. And one evening, you visit the so-called typical restaurant with local colour and atmosphere. And you sit next to a party of people from Rilu who keep singing Tarei Molinos, Tarei Molinos, and complaining about the food. It's so greasy here, isn't it? And you get cornered by some drunken greengrocer from Luton with an instamatic and Dr. Skull sandals and Tuesday's Daily Express. And he drones on and on and on about how Mr. Smith shall be running this country and how many languages Enoch Powell can speak. And then he throws up all over the Cuba Libras and sending tinted postcards of places they don't realise they haven't visited to all at number 22. Weather wonderful. Our room is marked with the next food. Very greasy, but we found a charming little local place to hide in away in the back streets where they serve Watney's Red Barrel and cheese and onion pizza. Oh, and the accordion is because I'm a This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Baby, let me concentrate. Just enough gas to get us out of this state. The loot's in the trunk now. Hand me that bottle of Jack. No real view mirror, so we can't look back. Ninety miles an hour through this thing, black night. Heaven on the power to keep this bird in flight. Shut up, Benny, and let me drive.
That blue ox baby's one fire cat. Don't you let him catch us anything but that. Once it gets started, that guy don't quit. Make this exit, yeah, that's it. I told my cousin we'd get there when we arrive. Shut up, baby, let me drive. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. I want to say thanks to all of my guests, starting with this last hour I spent with. Phoebe Leona, author of Dear Radiant One, An Emotional Recovery Story and Transformational Guide to Embody the Dance of Life, or the story of uh, lions on her roof and a drug-dealing dad, (laughs) and how she transformed her life through movement and dance. Before that, we talked with um, author Renee Linnell. She um, has written a book about uh, how she managed to Um, survive and thrive post-cult membership uh, in a book, uh, a memoir, if you will, called Still on Fire. And we started out this morning talking with one of uh, three authors of uh, a book that looks at, uh, well, I'll just tell you the title because it's uh, Our Veterans, Winners, Losers, Friends, and let let me start again. Our Veterans, Winners, Losers, Friends, and Enemies on the New Terrain of Veterans Affairs. And Jasper Craven was my guest uh, this morning to start the show out. And uh, there's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and I hope that you will be too. We've got about two more weeks left of... Uh, the big broadcast so uh, I hope you'll join me as much as you can over this next couple weeks and uh, then we'll see what happens on down the road in the meantime good night everybody the Tom Sumner program is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.